everyone, welcome back to this week's devotional. We're so glad that you joined us for this week. As we continue looking at the end times, the last couple weeks we looked at the tribulation specifically, and this week we're going to be looking at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, if you've been watching the past few weeks, you've probably noticed that this week looks a little bit different with our setup. Um, We decided to go with a little bit different look. Um, As many of you know, Northside is right next to McGalliard, which is a lot of traffic. So audio is sometimes hard to get sometimes. Um, So this just lets us get cleaner audio and just a better overall quality. But anyways, today we're going to be doing another two-part series looking at the Marriage Supper of the Lamb and what that is all about. Right. We're going to talk from Revelation chapter 19, verses 17, or verses 7 through 10, actually, and discuss when this event will occur. But first, I really would like us to just sort of kind of set up the scenario. Absolutely. What is the what is the picture and, and where is this drawn from? And so today, I think we'll spend some time talking about the cultural background of this event we call the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Absolutely. There's a lot of marriage uh, analogies that Jesus draws on, even in his time of ministry, some of his parables, he draws on this that ultimately talks about um, in Revelation. Well, actually, you can go back further than that. You can go back to the Old Testament, and the whole relationship of God to Israel was likened to a marriage. So, yeah, marriage is an integral part of the picture of our relationship to God and it doesn't end with the Old Testament, as you said, Adam, but it continues on into the New and Jesus's uh, teachings and even down to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. So we're going to get into that. I want to look at Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 7, and we're going to read down through verse 10. But John writes, For let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready, and it was granted her to clothe herself with pure, fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. And so we'll, we'll stop there. But the, the picture that is given to us here in Revelation 19 of the marriage supper of the Lamb is actually drawn from the culture of Jesus' day and the New Testament biblical times because marriage back then looked a whole lot different than it does <laughs> now. Um, our, in our culture, the wedding is all about the bride. But in biblical times, the wedding was all about the groom. Mm. And the, the, the bride really didn't have an integral part of uh, the wedding until actually at the end. And that's sort of pictured here in Revelation 19. But in the marriage custom of the of Bible times, there were actually three phases. There was, first of all, the what we, what we call today the engagement. But... Back then, it was called the betrothal. So they are promising one another that they're going to marry one another, but that be actually begins with the parents. <laughs> the parents get together and decide who's going to marry who. And there's actually a contract signed 
And the contract is signed between the parents of the bride and the parents of the groom. And once that contract is signed, then the couple is considered betrothed, or again, in, in our culture, engaged. So it's totally different than, than what we, because in our culture, the boy and girl kind of pick each other out. Parents are told about it later, generally. <laughs> but here, the, the kids were told about it later, after the parents had made the deal. Wow. Is it almost like kind of like arranged? In it? Yeah, totally arranged, totally arranged. Yeah. yeah. It was it was a an arranged and I'm sure probably the the, the bride and groom to be had some say in it, but that's right. really not the picture that's given to us. There's more that the parents have gotten together and and made the arrangements. So I'm certain that boy and girl had something to do with it along the way. But the Parents of the groom pay the parents of the bride a dowry, and that could be a pretty significant amount of money, particularly depending on the class uh, of society that you fall in. But this does begin that picture of the engagement, or the period we call the engagement. And this was actually the time that Mary and Joseph were in when it was found that Mary was with child, In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus was as follows, after his mother Mary was betrothed, and here's that word, betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. And then Matthew tells us it was by the Holy Spirit. And so Mary was virgin, but of course, now being pregnant, things looked a little suspicious. And so Joseph realizing what has happened, but he's a righteous man, decides he's going to get out of this relationship until he's communicated to by the angel that this was God's plan and that he was to go ahead and marry Mary uh, and not put her aside. And so he did not. He he listened. That was the first step. It was the time where the parents came together, signed the contract, dowries paid to the bride's parents, and then... Uh, and so they enter that picture or that time in generally about a year uh, where they are considered betrothed. And the only way that could, relationship can be broken was by divorce. Mm. So it was like they were already married at that point, but the only way, again, that it can end is by divorce. Wow. So you don't just walk out of it. Uh, you don't throw the ring back at the guy and like these – Hallmark movies, but you, <laughs> you just you you're committed. You're committed, and you're committed for life from that from that standpoint. And then there's the second stage of the process of becoming married. About a year later, the bridegroom has thrown a big party, and he's got all of his friends over, and they're they're celebrating the coming wedding. And then at some point, and generally around midnight. They all get together and they go to the bride's house. And they take her along with the bridesmaids, if you will, and they proceed back to the house of the father. And so this newly married couple, they're going to actually live in the father's house. He has prepared a room for them. Uh, And we kind of see that in John 14 where Jesus says he's going away and he's going to prepare a room for us in Father's house and he's going to come back and get us. Well, this is the picture, again, from the wedding. And so the bridegroom and his male cohorts go and they pick the bride and, and her attendants up and they go back to the Father's house. 
and then begins this real great celebration. And actually, it was from this custom that the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, was given to us. And so there were five that were ready and five that were not when the bridegroom came, and five were caught off guard and left behind, while the five that were ready went and continued on into the marriage celebration. Mm. So, which, which I always thought was in, that parable was interesting because it's like people who, at, I mean, if you draw the illustrations from it, people at one time who followed Jesus, but like towards the end, for whatever reason, like didn't stick around for Jesus to come back, you know, which I think sometimes growing up, I thought, oh, those people are lost. Well, no, they all chose to like wait for Jesus. Just some of them didn't like wait till the end, if that makes sense. Exactly. They were, they were participating in whatever they were participating right. in life, but they were not ready when the bridegroom came. And so they were left behind. And it becomes a pretty good warning to us that we right. keep ourselves ready all the way up until the coming of the bridegroom or coming of Jesus. So yeah, it's a, it's a powerful picture, but again, drawn from that, from that uh, cultural process uh, of the wedding. And then comes this wonderful third step. It is the marriage supper. And that can last for days in this culture. In fact, we, we see a picture of this in the first miracle of Jesus in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the, the wedding of Canaan, the marriage celebration has gone on long enough that they've actually run out of wine. And that was a major cultural mistake. You just didn't do that. So Jesus' mother goes to him and says, you know, they run out of wine. We, I want you to do something about it. And Jesus says, well, it's not my time yet. But he does, in fact, perform the miracle. And there are pots of water uh, for ritual washings that were done during the, during the meal. And so Jesus told the stewards of the uh, wedding to fill those pots full of water and then to go dip out of those pots. And when they did, it was the best wine they had ever had. Mm -hmm. And it was better than the wine they had been drinking, which was, again, was a major cultural issue because you always serve the best first. And then when you're a little tipsy and you can't taste it quite so well, <laughs> you bring out the, the cheaper stuff. Well, this was better than the first because this was wine that Jesus had created from the water. But this is, again, this is that process of this, wet, this supper has gone on long enough that they've actually run out of wine. But it was a great celebration, and it was a great cultural event as people from the community came and gathered around and celebrated the, the wedding of this couple. And a big, big, big issue. Well, this is what John is seeing in Revelation 19. This is that time and it's that third stage where we are in this great meal and the bride and bridegroom have been joined together. They've come together at the Father's house. They're having this great celebration. And the dowry has been paid. And the dowry here is the blood of Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, and of course, the price was the blood of Christ. He shed his blood to redeem us. 
So he paid the dowry, but the dowry was in his blood. The second stage that is soon to be completed, that's when Christ comes back and catches us away and takes us then to Father's house, to that place that he promised back in John 14. He was going to Father's house to prepare a room for us, and then he would come back and get us and take us to be with him. Well, this is the bridegroom coming to catch the bride. So Jesus is going to come. Well, Paul uh, gives us this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. And he writes there, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So we're going to go to be with Jesus in Father's house, caught up off this earth. And that event will begin what we were talking about last time, the tribulation, the seven years of the outpouring of God's wrath on the earth. The church is gone. We've been saved from the wrath that's going to be poured out on the earth. We're in heaven with the Father, celebrating with Jesus. But just before and just at the end of that seven years of tribulation, which is the outpouring of God's wrath on the earth, there's going to be this great celebration that John sees when the Antichrist is destroyed and all those that were his cohorts are thrown into hell forever with him. And the Jesus comes back to earth. And if you read in Revelation 19, you get the picture that the whole church is going to come back with Jesus. They're going to see this moment when the Antichrist is defeated. And this is also going to be the beginning of what we know to be the thousand-year, the millennial reign of Christ. But right at this time, and I believe this is what Revelation is giving us the picture of, all the saints that are going to be gathered in, the martyrs that have come out of the tribulation, Old Testament saints that have lived righteously, New Testament saints who have accepted Christ and believed in Him, all gathered together, we're going to have this great celebration, this great celebration and the wedding supper of the Lamb occurred. What a time that will be. We will continue our conversation with Pastor Buzz next week. Until then, keep asking questions and seeking His presence. See you then.